verses 23. When I first heard that, it sounded a little bit like the uh, trailer to a movie or something as an introduction here, didn't it? (laughs) We're going to continue in our study in the life of Abraham, Genesis chapter 23. And in this passage, we come to the point where uh, his beloved Sarah is laid to rest. And uh, we'll have one more message in this series next week, and then we'll move into a new study for the start of the uh, school year in September when everybody gets back. We're going to be looking at Max Lucado's book, Fearless, and doing a study that will be covered both in our ABFs as well as here uh, Sunday morning for six weeks in a preaching series also. So let me pray as we begin, and then we'll uh, move into the message. Father, as we come before you this morning, again, we give you thanks for your word and for how it touches on all areas of life. Today we're going to be looking at the death of Sarah and one of those moments in life that we understand, all of us have experienced what it's like to be at the grave of someone we've loved and see them laid to rest. And that's hard. And yet in your word you give us hope and encouragement. And so, Father, I pray that as we talk about this subject today, that you would just minister to our hearts, encourage us, help us to see things through your eyes and through the promises of your word. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Death is a subject that we don't like to talk about, and yet it is something that we will all face. The statistics are pretty impressive. You know, it's one out of one die. Uh, it's just the way it is in life, isn't it? That in order to pass through the next to the next life, that one day we're going to have to say goodbye to this present world. A number of years ago, I remember this quote by Woody Allen who made this statement. He said, I'm not afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. And there's a lot of people that are like that, aren't they? You know, that are thinking that way. It's like, I'd rather not talk about it. I'd rather put it off. We would rather avoid it, and yet as Billy Graham has written, death is one of the most democratic experiences in life, for we all participate in it. We think of its happening only to other people. We don't like to grow old, and we don't like to die. The Bible teaches that death is an enemy of man and God, but it also teaches that this enemy, death, will ultimately be destroyed forever. And that, in fact, it has already been defeated at the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's our hope. If you ask a child what they think about death or about heaven, you'll sometimes get some very interesting answers. For example, Alan, age seven, said, God doesn't tell you when you're going to die because he wants it to be a big surprise. (laughs) Or uh, Aaron, age eight, said, The hospital is the place where people go on their way to heaven. Sometimes people think like that. Raymond, age 10, said, A good doctor can help you so you won't die. A bad doctor sends you to heaven. (laughs) Again, um, Ralph, age 8, said, When birds are ready to die, they just fly to heaven. One little girl said, When you die, you don't have to do homework in heaven. Unless your teacher is there too. (laughs) And then I like this one. A little boy, Kevin, said, uh, he was very brave, very courageous, and he said, I'm not afraid to die because I'm a Boy Scout. (laughs) 
He is prepared. He is prepared. Are you prepared to die? Are you ready for that day? One of the hardest things we will ever do is say goodbye to those we love. And that's what we're going to read about in this passage. Look at verses 1 and 2. Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Sarah was 127 years old. Wow. That means that Abraham was 137 and Isaac was 37 years old. You know, when it comes to when a family member or someone we know closely passes away, we often think about our own life. It's a time when people think about their own mortality. And we mark those years, don't we, in our mind. And sometimes we think, you know, well, this person lived to a good old age and this person died very, very young. I know when my dad died, uh, he was just 72. My mom was 62 and I was 22 years old. And, you know, looking back on it, I mean, I see things differently now, but looking back, you know, I didn't realize quite how young my mom was and she would live 25 years longer without her husband. And I think of those moments in my life. My dad lived to see us married, but didn't live to see our grandsons, our, our sons, or his grandsons, I should say. And I wish that he would have, and I wish that they would have known him. They've only heard of him through stories. And so here it is that Abraham and Sarah have now uh, come to this point where their uh, years together have ended. Abraham and Sarah had been married over 60 years, at least that. It had been 62 years since they had left Ur in Chaldea, and they were married before that. One commentator said they could have been married uh, as much as 100 years if they were married when she was 27 and he was 37. Isn't that something to think about? Last weekend, Gail and I were at a golden wedding anniversary, a 50th wedding anniversary for a cousin of mine. And it was uh, really a fun time to be there and to see their kids and their grandkids and to see the legacy of faith that's passed on in their family as their children and grandchildren are walking with God. I thought how, you know, there aren't that many marriages that make it to 50 years these days. And what a joy it is to see a couple that have loved the Lord and see the fruit of that relationship passed on to future generations. And they spoke and they talked of how quickly the years pass. You know, she looks at her husband and doesn't see that young man with the dark hair anymore. And he looks at her and he sees this older woman and not his young bride and wonders where the years have passed. And yet, like they said, we live them all, but they've gone by so very, very quickly. Abraham and Sarah were soulmates. They had gone through many tests and trials together. I mean, think about what we are told in the Scripture as we walk through this study. You know, they took that step of faith to leave their family, their homeland. They did this together. It wasn't just Abraham taking this step of faith, but it was Sarah also trusting God. And they stepped out to go to this new land that they didn't really know anything about. But they were trusting God to lead them. They went through the painful separation with Lot. 
Abraham's nephew. And then there was the dramatic rescue of Lot when these warring nations came and captured Lot and his family and Abraham went after him. There was the time in Egypt when Pharaoh had taken Sarah to be his wife and it almost all ended in disaster right there. But God had protected and God had provided and in spite of the mistakes and bad choices they had made at times, God was good. And He had seen them through these many years, including the birth of Isaac, this child of promise that was born at their very old age. They were soulmates. They had shared their life together. And it is very hard to say goodbye when that time comes. How did Abraham feel? Well, the Scripture says he mourned and he wept over her. When that happens, as a spouse, you can feel like part of you has also died. I think of one man who described it like this to his daughter. He said, I had 40 wonderful years with your mom. They were the best years of my life, but that part of my life is over. It is finished. And she said, but dad, and he said, no buts, listen to me. His clear blue eyes stared intensely into mine, and I couldn't turn away from him as much as I wanted to. He said, they were the best years of my life. Your mother is no longer with me, and this truth has to be faced. But I am alive, and I must live the time allotted to me until she and I are together again. His voice trembled, but it was not uncertain. He said, she is gone, but no one can take away the wonderful memories. They are part of me, the happy memories and the sad ones, but only a part, and I can't let them possess me or I couldn't get through my days. For every day is a gift from God, and it must be lived with joy. It is just a taste of the joy that is to come when we will all be together again. And the daughter said, I kissed him then, not realizing that our conversation would one day be one of the fondest memories. Recalling that day has always been a great strength to me, particularly today, the first anniversary of my dear father's death. It is not wrong for Christians to mourn the death of a loved one. Sometimes people have been given the wrong wrong impression that we should be very stoic in the face of death and not grieve or not mourn. No, the Bible consistently portrays death as an enemy. It is the last enemy that we will face. 1 Corinthians 15.26 says that the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And we can think even of Jesus who knew what it was to stand at the grave of a friend when he stood where Lazarus was laid in the tomb and he himself wept. We feel the pain, we feel the loss, the separation, and, and it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like it should be that way. Because God created us to have perfect fellowship with Him and with one another for all of eternity. But sin entered our world and death came through sin. And we feel that separation. We grieve, but we do not despair because we have hope. Christ's death on the cross, Christ's resurrection and His victory have changed all of that for the believer. 
You see, what else we see in this passage is that death does not negate the promises of God. Death does not change or nullify the promises of God. In this passage, you could view death as another one of those threats to inheriting the promised land. I mean, what happened? You know, Sarah died and they still don't possess the land. Does that mean that God's promises are a void? Not at all. We believe the promises of God extend beyond this life. Look at verses 3 to 18. I'm going to read that for us. Then Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and he spoke to the Hittites. And he said, I am an alien and a stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site so I can bury my dead. The Hittites replied to Abraham, Sir, listen to us. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will refuse you his tomb for burying your dead. And then Abraham rose and bowed down before the people of the land, the Hittites. And he said to them, If you are willing to let me bury my dead, then listen to me and intercede with Ephron, son of Zohar, on my behalf, so that he will sell me the cave of Machpelah, which belongs to him and is at the end of his field. Ask him to sell it to me, for the full price is a burial site among you. And Ephron the Hittite was sitting among his people, and he replied to Abraham in the hearing of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of his city. No, my lord, he said, listen to me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of my people. Bury your dead. Again, Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron in their hearing, Listen to me, if you will. I will pay the price of the field. Accept it from me so I can bury my dead there. And Ephron answered Abraham, Listen to me, my lord. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. But what is that between me and you? Bury your dead. And Abraham agreed to Ephron's terms and weighed out for him the price he had named in the hearing of the Hittites. 400 shekels of silver, according to the weight current among the merchants. So Ephron's field and Machpelah near Mamre both the field and the cave in it and all the trees within the borders of the field was deeded to Abraham as his property in the presence of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of the city. It's a very interesting passage in that here we have a business deal, if you will, the purchase of land, a business deal that took place 4,000 years ago. And it's recorded in great detail. And you may wonder, like, now, why, why is this story in here? And why is it told with such detail? Well, let's walk through it a little bit here. Abraham needed to buy a burial site for Sarah. And it would be used also for himself and for his family, for future generations. And when you think about purchasing a burial site, you know, um, generally you want to be buried where your family is. You want to be buried in your homeland, if you will. But Abraham and Sarah, their family was back east. That was in Babylon, in Ur, in that area. And so many people would have thought, well, it would be natural to go back there and to be buried there where your family is. But Abraham would not do that. Abraham had taken hold of the promise and he believed that this was where he was to remain and where his people would live in the future. So he spoke to the Hittites about the cave that he wanted to buy. And Abraham acknowledged that he and his people were aliens and strangers in this land. 
So are we. That's what the Bible says about us. We are aliens and strangers in this present world. And the Hittites saw him as a mighty prince. Now that may have been flattery a little bit, but it was also a recognition that there was something significant about Abraham. There was something special about this man. Even Abimelech, remember, from the Philistines, had recognized that God is with you in everything that you do. They saw God's hand on Abraham. They didn't believe in the same God. They couldn't explain it, but they saw this man as a mighty prince who had found God's favor. And so they wanted to give him a tomb. Well, here it is, you know, just just take this one. But Abraham would not take it. God was the source of his blessing, not man. And he would not take this tomb from them any more than he would take wealth or riches from the king of Sodom. God was his provider. And so he comes and he uh, expresses his desire and Ephron makes this offer. He says to Abraham that he will sell him the cave and the land with it for 400 shekels. Now they didn't have coins back then. This was before a shekel was an actual coin. This is a weight. It's about 10 pounds of silver. And Ephraim makes it sound like he's given him a pretty good deal here. You know, what's that between us? Well, it's worth 400. It was an exorbitant price. It was a very high price. But Abraham did not haggle. He agreed to the terms in the hearing of all the people. The city gates were where these kind of transactions took place. And he weighed out the silver and he bought the land. So that no one could ever say in the future that Abraham had cheated Ephron or that he had stolen the land or gotten it unfairly. And then he had it recorded in a deed. You know, it's just, it's amazing to me to read this. It's just so very, very practical. I mean, it's, on one side, we could be talking about how do you do a business deal. You know, you're honest, you're open, it's in front of people, it's fair, it's, it's recorded, you know, it's all those kind of things that are so very, very practical. But here, it relates to the death of Sarah. You know, when it comes to death, there are very practical matters that we need to decide too. And it is always best if we can take the time to talk about it as a couple or as a family before that time comes. For example, have you ever thought, and I know for those that are younger, you don't think about this as much as those of us who get older, but have you thought about a burial site? Where will you be buried someday? Will it be here? Will it be in your hometown, maybe where you grew up, or family? Where do you intend to do that? What about the funeral arrangements? Who will handle those things, or where will that take place? And will, it, will you be uh, cremated, or will it be a traditional burial? You know, that's one of those decisions that needs to be made. It's a very personal decision. The Scripture doesn't specify one way or the other, and each of you may have thoughts on that as you look to the Scripture and think it through. As a pastor, the one thing that I talk with families about that is so very important is closure. It's closure. It's saying goodbye. And it is wonderful when family members can come home and if someone has been in the hospital a long time, if they have the opportunity to say goodbye. And it goes both ways. It's for the person who is dying to express their love and their goodbyes and their prayers. But it's also for those family members to come and be able to say goodbye. 
And if it is not possible before death, then it can be very meaningful after death even to come and to be able to have a place, whether it's at the, uh, you know, a, a visitation or if it is at the cemetery, to be able to have a place where you can go and say goodbye and know that your loved one was laid to rest there. I think about the funeral service itself. What do you want included in that? In terms of music and scripture, uh, testimonies, things that would be said or shared at that time. Is there something in particular that you want conveyed to the people who will come to that service? Do you want it to be a witness to your faith? And I would hope so. That you would want it to be a strong message of salvation and hope that we have in Jesus Christ. For it is often a very wonderful opportunity to share the good news and how Jesus has taken away the sting of death. I think about things like estate planning. Do you have a will? And do you have guardians if you are younger and have children at home that need to be cared for? Who will do that? Do you have an executor, someone who's going to carry that out and carry out the wishes of your will? And you need to be careful how you spell that so it's not executor or executor. <laughs> I was looking at that as I was thinking about that word. Uh, just the change in one letter there can change the meaning quite a bit. Do you have someone that you will trust who will carry out your affairs afterwards? And what about those financial arrangements? You know, all those kind of things. So who's going to take care of the matters once you are gone? And do you want to leave a legacy, not only to your children, but to the church or to a ministry where you will pass something on to them, again, as a blessing and as a thank you to the Lord? You know, I think about when my mom died. She was so very organized. She had been a, a teacher early in her life, and she just had that kind of uh, bent to her. That's probably where I got some of my organization, too. Uh, but, you know, she had put everything in a notebook. She had written it all out, what she wanted, where her things were in terms of, you know, the bank or any kind of financial stuff I needed to know, where all the bills were to be paid. And, and all of that stuff she had done ahead. She had written out music that she would like at her funeral service, her favorite verses, so that when the time came where we had to do all of that, and you are grieving yourself, you know, and you're going through that, Mom had laid it all out. And it was so very helpful for us as a family to be able to see that in her own hand. And I know as we took care of things, you know, whether it was for the service or even had to take care of things afterwards at the bank, it was interesting to hear the comments of people even on those secular affairs when my three sisters and I were able to you know, go and take care of some of those things and they said, you don't know how many families we see that are fighting and quarreling when it comes to death. And they just, they're just at one another or they want to make sure they get their part or this or that. And it's so sad to see and it was a blessing to them and a witness, really, to God to be able to do that well in a way that honored Him. But the most important out of all of the areas to cover is the spiritual care. It is the spiritual area. When it comes to that time, to be able to ask the question, are you at peace with God and do you know where you will spend eternity? 
Are you at peace with God? Some of the most precious conversations I have had with people in our church have come when they were getting ready to die. And they shared their faith, they shared their hope, they shared their desire for their children, they shared what they wanted me to pray about. And I tell you, I was blessed in so many of those conversations when I hear their confidence on the Word of God, they know where they are going, they have placed their trust in Christ, and now is the time to say goodbye to this present world. I think of the services we've had in our church that have been such wonderful testimonies to the grace of God. You see, the third point I want to make this morning is that we demonstrate our faith in God's promises in how we face death. I mean, you want to see the proof of someone's faith, come to that point and see how they die. And see their courage and their grace, to see their hope in Christ, to see their desire for their family and their prayers for them. In verses 19 and 20 we see here, that after this deed was completed, afterward Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which is at Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave in it were deeded to Abraham by the Hittites as a burial site. Abraham buried his wife Sarah in this tomb at Machpelah, and the Hittites were watching. Imagine I mean, here they're watching Abraham, this man, this mighty prince, this man on whom God's favor has been, and they're watching to see, how does he care for his wife in death? I have read that in the days of the early church, the Roman world was struck by how lovingly and tenderly Christians cared for their dead. How lovingly and tenderly they cared for their dead in the way that they laid them to rest, in the way that they honored them, in the way that they had their services that put their hope and faith in Christ. Again, in some of our services, you know, when it comes to that point, you often have people here who are not believers, who do not know that hope. And so to be able to give a testimony or to have family and friends stand up and share about, you know, their confidence in Christ their belief in Jesus that has changed their attitude toward death. That they know that their Redeemer lives and that they know that they are going to see Him. It is powerful. When Abraham buried Sarah in the land of promise, it was an act of faith. They did not possess the land of promise yet. They did not own or inherit that promised land. They were still aliens and strangers. And it was in death that Sarah laid hold of the promise. You know, our situation is really just the same. When the Bible says that we are strangers and aliens in this life and that this world is not our home, our home is in heaven. And we're to live with that kind of perspective that says, you know what, I'm going to live every day to the glory of God. I'm going to live my life to the fullest in this present world, honoring Him filling every day with as much as I can in terms of being useful for the Master and honoring Him in all that I say and do. But my real home, my real home, is in that new heaven and new earth that is going to come 
where there's going to be no more death, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more suffering, no more pain. Because the old things are going to pass away and God will make everything new. That's how Abraham and Sarah lived. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 to 16, the scripture says this, that all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. And people who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. But instead they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. I love that last line, that God is not ashamed to be called their God. They lived with their eyes on heaven. They knew where they were going. They knew the hope that they had. They were trusting in the promises. If you go to the next verse or uh, in Hebrews 11.10, it says about Abraham that he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. He's looking for that city that has permanence and stability. We are aliens and strangers in this world too. In Philippians chapter 3, the scripture says that our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. That day's coming, isn't it? Oh, what a great day that's going to be when we are changed in this mortal body that is subject to disease and decay and to breaking down is going to be changed and it will be like His glorious body. You know, one of the practical results of that kind of faith is that as we go older, you know, there's a lot of things that we've got to let go of and say goodbye to. You know, we've seen that for Gail and I with our own family and as our parents have aged and died and how, you know, you move from your home to maybe an apartment or to a smaller place to live. You have to get rid of things. You have to move things, you know, and you let go of all of that. And it can be hard. I mean, there is this loss you feel each step of the way when you're not able to do the things that you once were able to do physically or enjoy the things that you once were able to enjoy. There is this feeling of loss. But you know, for the believer, it is a lot easier to do that because the hope we have in front of us. If you don't have hope in front of you, and if you don't know where you're going to spend eternity, then you really cling to this life, and it is painful to let go of those things that you've worked so hard in your life to accumulate. Because that's all there is. But when you know Christ and you know the place that He has prepared for us and you know the hope of eternal life, it changes everything. If we have placed our faith in Christ as our Savior and Lord, we have passed from death to life. It's already happened, the Scripture says, spiritually. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, whoever hears My Word and believes Him who sent Me has eternal life. 
and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. We have entered into the kingdom of God. We become a member of His family. And for us, when that day comes, when we lay down our life, it will be the doorway to this new world. Many of you have read the book Pilgrim's Progress. Do you remember that part in the story where they are coming to the celestial city and Christian is about to cross over and he is fearful in one way. We all have a fear of death in one regard because we don't know exactly what it's going to be like on the other side. And Hopeful has entered into the river and he calls back to Christian and he says, Be of good cheer, my brother. I feel the bottom and it is sound. I feel the bottom and it is sound. We stand on the promises of God. That's what gives us that confidence and hope even in the face of death. Are you standing on the promises? And if you were to die, do you know that you would be in heaven with Christ? Do you know where you will spend eternity? I love this promise in 1 John 5:11 to 13, where the Scripture says, this is the testimony, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. God wants you to know. He wants you to be sure of your salvation. And how can we be sure? It's by placing our faith and our trust in Christ as our Savior and Lord and choosing to follow Him every day in this life. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you this